The first part of this Mishnah continues the main topic of this parak, which is the food and produce which a worker is entitled to eat whilst he is working. And then the rest of this Mishnah, and really the rest of this parak, as well as the first half of the next parak, focuses on another main topic of this Masechta, which has come up a few times in different parakim, and that is the four types of shomrim of people who are guarding somebody else's item. So first the Mishnah says, Shomei Peirais, workers who are being hired to guard fruit or produce in somebody else's field. Medina, they are allowed to eat from the produce of the field whilst they are guarding, if that is the general practice in that country or in that area, because that would be the general understanding between the employer and the worker in terms of what the worker is entitled to. And of course, we're talking about a case where they didn't make any conditions explicitly. Certainly, if they agreed at the time when he hired them that he will or he won't give them food, then the law will certainly be based on what they stipulated. But we're talking about a case where they didn't stipulate, they didn't talk about this in the agreement, and therefore only if it is the general practice in that location, and it is the accepted and done thing, that even guards who are not actually doing any physical work, but they're just guarding things, that they would receive food, then they can receive food. But they don't fit into the category of workers whom the Torah gives entitlement to food, since they're not actually doing any physical work themselves. Continues the Mishnah, there are four types of guards. As you've seen already, somebody who is guarding another person's item and not being paid to do so. And as we go through the list, it's important to take note of how much gain the guard is getting versus how much gain the owner is getting. So in the case of Shemar Chinom, pretty much all of the gain is is the owner's. The owner is getting his item guarded for free. He doesn't even have to pay for it. And because of that, a Shemar Chinom's liability will be relatively low since he is not the one gaining from this entire arrangement. Now on the other extreme, we have the Hashayel, a borrower. He is using the other person's item, so now it's the owner who's doing a favor for the borrower, and in order to use it, he doesn't even have to pay. And due to this, his liability is going to be the highest level of liability. As we're going to see, even if something happens to the item out of his control, he will still be liable and obligated to pay the owner for the item. Now the third and fourth types of guards are in the middle. There's a gain for the owner and a gain for the guard. Noisy Sachar, which is also known as a Shomer Sachar, that is somebody who is guarding the item on behalf of the owner, so he's not allowed to use it, however he's being paid to guard it. So he gets a gain that he's being paid, and the owner gains from his item being guarded. A renter, the renter is allowed to use it, so that's the guard's gain, and the owner's gain is that he's being paid by renting out his item. So the last two showroom, they're going to have a medium level of liability in terms of paying for this item if something happens to it. Now, there are three categories of what can happen to an item which is being guarded. One is pshia. Pshia is when something happens to the item due to the shamer's negligence, which means that he didn't look after it properly. And because he didn't look after it properly, that is why something happened to the item. For example, if he left the door open, so it's very easy for something to happen to the item. That's when he didn't fulfill his duty to guard it. In that case, every single type of shamer, even a shamer chinom, will have to pay for what happens to the item because he didn't fulfill his duty of guarding the item. The next level up is known as Gneva Aveda, which means if it is stolen or lost. So this is a situation which the guard could have technically stopped this happening, but it could be that it's not within his duty. 
He's not obligated to guard the item from absolutely anything that can ever happen to it. You know, he doesn't have to hire the police force or security guards to guard this item. He has to guard it in a normal way. So if it ends up being stolen, it could be that had he been there watching it 24-7 the entire time, this wouldn't have happened, and he wouldn't have lost it and it wouldn't have been stolen. But that's not included in his duty of guarding and because of that, if it is stolen or lost, something ha- or something else happens to it which fits into this category, that is the middle level, and we're going to see that only some of the guards would be liable in this situation. And the third level is oines, which means something out of the guard's control. It's a total accident, and there only a borrower, as we're going to see, will be liable. So now the Mishnah goes through these three categories. Shomer Chinom, a Shomer Chinom who is guarding the item and not being paid to do so. So he has the lowest level of liability, because all of the gain is the owner's gain. Nishpo alakol, he can swear about all of these. Now, we're not talking about pshia. It's very important to realize that pshia, like we said, if the thing which happened to the item is because the guard didn't guard it properly at all, then even a shemechinim will be liable to pay for it. Everybody is liable in that case. We're talking about the top two categories. So Shemechinam, in cases of these top two categories, he can swear that he wasn't negligent. He can swear that it wasn't pshia, And then he would be exempt from paying for the item. The Hashoyel, a borrower, Meshalemesakol, he has to pay in all of these situations. Even if the thing which happened is totally out of his control, because he is getting all of the gain, if anything happens, he needs to pay for the item. And now the middle two, the Neisisochva Soicher, somebody who is being paid to guard the item, or somebody who is renting the item, since in these, in these two cases, both the owner and the guard have a gain, so in the highest level, which is Oines, when something happens out of their control, they will be exempt, as long as they swear that they guarded it properly. So in Ishbain, they would swear that they guarded it properly. In situations of Oines, for example, a Shavura, if the animal's legs broke, a limb of the animal broke, Vala Shavura, if the animal gets captured, that means that armed robbers come and take the animal. That is considered to be an Oines, something out of his control, Vala Mesa, or if the animal dies a natural death, these three things are examples of an oines, so they would be exempt as long as they swear that they guarded the item properly. Or Mishalmin, but they have to pay for the item in the case of a Svavedavesagneva, in the case where the item is either lost or stolen, not by armed robbers, but by regular robbers. In this case, they do need to pay for the item, because had they, had they guarded it on a higher level, then it wouldn't have got lost or stolen. Mishates, one of the, exa- the examples which the Torah gives for an oines something which is out of the Shomer's control, and therefore a Shomer Chinom or a Shomer Sachar or a Soicher would be exempt. Only a borrower in such a case would be liable to pay for the item. One of the examples is in Toreif Yitoreif. So the Torah, if the animal which you are guarding is torn up by another animal. In such a case, the Torah says, mm-hmm. The Toreif of the torn up animal, the Shomer does not need to pay for. And we learn from the fact that the Torah uses this word hatrefa, the trefa, the torn-up animal, that we're talking about a specific torn-up animal, which means that not every type of torn-up animal would be considered an oines out of his control for which the shimmer would be exempt. There are certain situations where an animal will be torn up by a different animal, but it's considered, with, it's considered within the guard's control, and he should have guarded it better and stopped this happening. So this Mishnah comes to define which types of trefa, which situations in which the animal is torn up, are considered to be oines out of his control, and then only a borrower would be liable, and which types of trefas 
would a Shomer Sochar, yeah, important, we're talking about a Shomer Sochar, would he be liable for? A Shomer Sochar or a Socher? They need to guard it more than a regular Shomer Chinom who is not being paid to guard it. So the Mishnah says, Ev Echad, one wolf, which comes towards a flock of sheep which you are guarding, in Oynes, that wouldn't be considered an Oynes, because the shepherd, the person who is guarding it, has the ability to fight against this one wolf and to make sure that it doesn't tear up any of these sheep. However, Shnezevim, if it's two wolves which come, Oynes, that is considered to be an Oynes, and therefore Shemesh Sachar or Soicher would be exempt, and only a borrower would be liable. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, Bishas Meshach Zevim, at the time where wolves are being sent, meaning there's sort of a plague of wolves, wolves are no longer afraid of people, and they are attacking much more, Avzeiv Echad Oynes, even one wolf in such a situation would be considered an Oynes, because it's very dangerous, and they're not afraid of the shepherd at all. Next example, Shnei if there are two dogs which come to the flock and they end up tearing apart an animal or more than one animal, Enam Oynes, that is not considered to be an Oynes because the shepherd could have chased them away. Dogs are less dangerous than wolves. Yadua Habavli, Yadua Habavli says in the name of Rabbi Meir, Meiruach Achas, if the two dogs are coming from the same direction, so you can see that they're sticking together, and it's easier to fight against them because they're in the same direction, so then, in Oynes, then it wouldn't be considered out of the shepherd's control. But Mishteiruchais, if they come from two different directions, so now you can see that they're sort of more prepared to fight, and they're not sticking together, they're more brave, these dogs, and it's harder to fight from two different directions, and therefore in that situation, Oynes, it would be considered out of his control. It would be in this third category of Oynes. Halistim, armed robbers, the sort of people who are willing to kill if they don't get their way, then Haiza Oynes, that is certainly considered to be an Oynes. Hwari, a lion, v'hadoiv, a bear, v'hanomer, a leopard, v'habardalos. There's a discussion of what exactly a bardalos is. It's possibly a female leopard or another type of dangerous animal, v'hanochosh, and a snake, Haiza Oynes. If they're the ones who come and tear up the sheep or kill the sheep, then Haiza Oynes, that would be considered an Oynes out of the Shomer's control. But in all of these situations in the entire Mishnah, the Mishnah tells us now that Amosai, when is all of this the case? If these animals come by themselves, but if it's the Shomer himself, if it's the shepherd himself, who brings the animals to a place where groups of these wild animals or armed robber, uh, robbers are frequently found there, then in Oynes, then it wouldn't be considered to be a Oynes. Here, certainly the shepherd is responsible for having not guarded it properly and bringing it to such a place. Mr. Yud, Mesak Darka, if somebody is guarding an animal and the animal died in its natural, normal way, Haizah Oynes, that would be considered an Oynes. It's certainly out of his control. He didn't do anything to cause its death. So the Shomer would be exempt from paying for it unless he is a Shoyel, a borrower, who is liable even in such a case. Continues the Mishnah, Sigfar, if he caused the animal to suffer, for example, he put the animal out in the boiling hot sun for many days or in the freezing cold for a lot of time, and then a while later, Vomesa, the animal died. Even if it's not obviously due to what he did, there is certainly a possibility which exists that that did cause the animal to die, or it caused the animal to die sooner. And therefore, in Oynes, it's not considered to be an Oynes. And what the Mishnah is really trying to say is that since we saw that the only way for any shomer to be exempt from paying for the item is if he swears that he guarded the item properly, or to be more precise, that the loss of the animal is not because of him not guarding the animal properly. 
So in this case, because there's a possibility that it is because of what he did that the animal died, the Shomer is not able to swear the oath in order to exempt him from paying. So it could be that it is a doubt, but that's enough to not to make him not able to swear, and therefore he would need to pay, just like any Shomer who refuses to swear, for example, he would also need to pay for what happened to the item which he is guarding. So it follows that even though these Mishnahs are talking about a Shomer Sochar and a Seicher, this would apply to a Shomer Chinom as well. If a Shomer Chinom who is not paid to guard, and therefore he's only liable for Peshia, in this case he would also be liable because he won't be able to swear that what happened was not due to his Peshia, to him not looking after, looking after properly. Also, if the animal went up to the top of a tall mountain, a tall steep mountain, the nofla and fell, this is considered to be an onus out of the guard's control. We're talking specifically about a case where it really was out of his control. The animal suddenly went crazy and it ran up this mountain and the shepherd, the guard, couldn't stop the animal. In such case, it's considered to be an onus. But hella, if the shepherd, if the guard, brought the animal up, to the top of these steep mountains, the nofla, and the animal fell, vomesa, and died. In Oynes, that would not be considered an Oynes, and the same would apply if the animal went up by itself, but the Shomer could have stopped it going up. If the Shomer didn't do that, then he would be liable to pay for this, because it's not considered to be an Oynes. And the truth is, this is a slightly different scenario. It could be that the thing which happened at the end, the actual fall of the animal, was an Oynes. You don't need to expect that an animal which is at the top of a cliff is going to walk off the cliff. However, this is known as its beginning was with Peshia, was due to the Shomer not guarding it properly, and the thing which happened at the end, the actual loss of the animal, happened Bo'ines. And in such situation, at least according to this Mishnah, one is liable, because this wouldn't have happened at the end of the day, it wouldn't have happened were it not for the Peshia at the beginning. Now we're going to see in the next Mishnah a rule which we've mentioned already, in this perek, that is, that a condition which goes against what the Torah says is a invalid condition. However, as we already mentioned earlier on in this, in this perek, although it is a debate, we're going to understand that our Mishnah holds that this rule does not apply to monetary matters. And because of that, an unpaid guard can make a condition with the owner of the item as he is accepting the job to be exempt from swearing. He says that if I claim to you that what happens to the item was not because of my pshia, then you have to believe me. I'm not going to swear. And if they both agree to that, then it would be valid. And indeed, he wouldn't need to swear later on in order to exempt himself. The shayel and a borrower, Elias Potomir Shalim, he can make a condition and a stipulation with the owner that he'll be exempt from paying for the item if something happens to it. And a Shomer Sochar, somebody who is being paid to guard it, and a renter, they can make a condition, to be exempt from making an oath or from paying, depending on the situation. Now the truth is, it could be that in this case, everybody agrees. Even those who say that in general, one cannot make a monetary stipulation which goes against the Torah, it could be that in this case, everybody agrees that you can. Because this entire arrangement of Shmira, of somebody guarding someone else's item is only due to their agreement which they make between themselves. So if the agreement which they make is that the Shomer is going to be exempt from swearing or from paying, then that is the type of guard which he set up. And because of that, it could very well be that this Mishnah is agreed upon by everybody.
Anybody who makes a condition which goes against what is written in the Torah, his condition is invalid, and that means not that the entire act which he is doing is invalid. Rather, we view it as if he did that same act, but without adding a condition to it. And now the Mishnah adds on two more conditions for a condition to be valid. The concept of making a condition in something is not necessarily an obvious idea. It's learned from Pesukim that one is able to do that. For example, if somebody performs Kiddushin on a woman, which is the first stage of marriage where one acquires the woman, simply speaking, we would have said that either you perform Kiddushin or not. It's learned from Pesukim that one is able to perform Kiddushin, and the Kiddushin will only be valid if a certain condition is fulfilled. But it has to fit into certain criteria. So the first thing is it, that it cannot con- contradict the Torah. The second thing is that any condition which the action is done at the beginning, and we're going to understand that to mean that the act which he is doing is stated before the condition is stated. In that case, to not a bottle, his condition will be invalid. For example, if somebody says, I'm performing Kedushin on you, a particular woman, and then he adds a condition, if you will give me a hundred shekel. In that case, we totally ignore the condition, and the Kedushin will be totally valid, the marriage will be valid, without the condition. Only if he says the condition first, if you will give me a hundred shekel, then this Kedushin should be valid, then the condition would be valid, and the marriage would only take place to the extent that the condition is fulfilled. And again, this is learnt from Psukim, right? And third and final thing is that only a condition which is possible to fulfill at the end, the and he made that condition at the beginning, his condition would be valid. However, if he makes a condition which is impossible to fulfill, then that condition will be invalid, but the act will remain. So it could be that in that case, the marriage will take place indeed, and it won't be based on any condition. The point is that the condition can only limit the act which is being done if it fits into the criteria which learnt from Pesukim, which allow one to even make such a condition.